This is God's servant Dilip Koshikoshi. I am the pastor of Revelation Church. Thank you for tuning into our podcast. I pray that you will experience the power of God's word in all its richness and glory today. May your faith be revived, your mind be renewed, and your body be healed in Jesus' name. God is good all the time. Amen. I believe the Lord has been ministering to you. A very special work He is doing in our midst. Man, a very, very special work. Something unprecedented. And um, we are in the fifth month of the year, the year of purification. And uh, the Lord has been speaking to us. God is making us pure. How many of you can testify? God is making us pure. Man, he's making us pure. Hallelujah. His work of purification is not just focused on one area. He is just not just focus on one thing. He's focused on everything. When God looks at the church, he can see everything. He can see everyone. He can see everything. He can see all the issues. He can see all the problems. Man, hallelujah. Praise God, he's got a clear vision. He's got a clear vision. It's not like man. Now, we fail to see things. We fail to understand things. We, we fail to recognize things. We misinterpret. How many of you misinterpret things? You, you misread. You, you misread things. You misjudge situations. You misjudge people. But praise God, he does not make mistakes when it comes to any of these things. Amen? And um, I just want to say, I, I'm just continually refreshed by the counsel of God. I don't know how you feel in the, when it comes to the counsel of God, but I'm continually refreshed receiving the counsel of God. Amen? Are you receiving the counsel of God? Some of you are like, okay, what is that about? Hallelujah. Say counsel of God. Now the counsel of God will give you an assuring perspective about what he is doing in our lives. It, it, it reassures us. It, it, it makes us confident. What makes us confident in life? The counsel of God. The word from God. The instruction from God. That's what makes us confidence. Are you troubled about anything? Let nothing trouble you. Man, let nothing trouble you. Let nothing steal your peace. Let nothing give unrest in your spirit. Hallelujah. Trust in the process of God. Tell your neighbor, trust in the process of God. Trust in the process of God. Man, he knows what he is doing. Hallelujah. He, he knows what he is doing. No different kings and kingdoms can rise, but the king of kings remains uh, the same. Hallelujah. He is the same as today, today and forever. There is no one who can shake his throne or his dominion or his power. Amen. There is no end to his governance, his reign. Hallelujah. is one without end. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You are being made pure. You are being made like Jesus. Holy, blameless and beyond. I mean, what can be more exciting for a Christian that to know that God is doing a work of sanctification. God is doing, the Holy Spirit is doing a work of purification in our lives. What can be more exciting? You tell me. What can be more exciting than that? The, the, the biggest trouble that you and I can face as a Christian is, how can I get rid of all this baggage? How can I get rid of all this dirt? How can I get rid of all this impurity? How can I deal with it? Yes, Christ saved me. The blood of Christ has cleansed me. But, you know, in my Christian walk, it, it, you know, some of those things resurface. Some of those things reappear. We're talking about sanctification. We're not talking about 
the cleansing. We're talking about sanctification. And I'm talking about a permanent, say permanent. Uh, it's an eternal work. Amen. An eternal work of cleansing. You know, when we stand before him, we shall be like him. When we see him, we shall be like him. Hallelujah. Uh, I'm telling you, that's the, that's the most exciting thing that you and I can ever know. That you are being fashioned according to his liking and his desire. Hallelujah. That you are being fashioned according to his liking, according to his desire. The way he wants you to be, he's working on you. Hallelujah. You know, every, every wife, everyone who's, every girl who's been married, you know, there's an excitement that, that you, you go through, that you have when you're being decked up, when you're being adorned for the, the marriage day. Amen. That you be presented before your groom. Oh. Okay, the, the men can't, they don't know it, but hallelujah. But I'm talking about the, wasn't it exciting for you? That process. Amen. Hallelujah. That, that process of, you know, being made clean and looking good and hallelujah. There's something about that work that happens on a bride so that she can be presented in all, in all her beauty and in all her glory to the one that she is betrothed to. Man, hallelujah. Such a work is happening in the church. You are being fashioned into his, his liking, his desire. And that's the most exciting thing. That the Holy Spirit is fixing you up. The Holy Spirit is fixing you up. I want to tell you that if you try to fix yourself, you would have failed miserably. But I want to tell you, I want to assure you, I want to comfort you this morning. The Holy Spirit is fixing you up. Amen. Amen. He is fixing you up. You just have to yield to the process. Amen. We've been considering the character of Jonah. Say Jonah. And we saw that his rebellion and reluctance almost cost him his life. But what I love about the story of Jonah, the highlight of the story, we, we, we've talked about it a couple of times. The highlight of the story of Jonah is that Jonah got corrected by the mercy of God. Hallelujah. Jonah got corrected by the, the mercy of God. I mean, you can, you can look at all the other details. You can, about, you can think about the people at Nineveh. You can think about what happened in the sea on the ship. You can think about all that. But the, the bottom line of the story is he got corrected by the mercy of God, the rich mercy of God, the very rich mercy of God. God was rich in mercy, the Bible says. He's rich in mercy. Praise God, he's rich in mercy. Now, some of us don't stand a chance otherwise. Praise God that our God is a God who is rich in mercy. And if you read through Jonah, you will, you will see that right after coming out of the, the belly of the big fish. You know what happened to him? Right after coming out of the belly of the big fish, he was thrown into the dry land. You know what happened? You see something amazing, something remarkable. The Bible says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, for a second time. Oh, somebody. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And guess what? He received the same word. God did not change his word. 
Jonah would have gone through. Just think about it. Jonah received a word. He rebelled. He ran away. He got into a ship. He got hit by a storm in the middle of the sea. He was thrown into the sea. Got swallowed by a big fish. Spend a few days in inside the belly of the fish. Then he got thrown into dry land. Then what happened? The word of the Lord came to Jonah one more time. What word? The same word. Say the same word. All these things took place, but God's word to Jonah remained the same. It came to him again without any change. So between the first time Jonah received the word from God and the second time he received the word of God again, what happened in between? He was corrected by the rich mercy of God. Everything that took place was covered, was, was enveloped by the mercy of God. Hallelujah. Amen. Jonah experienced the protection that he never deserved. Some of you are being protected you don't deserve to be protected. Do you know that? I know that I, I don't deserve to receive so much of God's mercy. But that's what mercy is all about. It's not about what you deserve. It's about what he chooses to give. And what he chooses to show. Amen. Now Jonah received a mercy which he did not deserve. He, he received a protection that which he never, never deserved. Now he experienced a correction. Oh, I love this. He experienced a correction which he never Jonah experienced a correction which he never deserved. I mean, who would correct a rebellious prophet? Which master would bother to correct a rebellious messenger? If, if you and I were in the place of God, Jonah would have been terminated, kicked out of the plan, forgotten, pushed into oblivion and somebody else would have been raised in the place of Jonah, somebody more dependable. God can do that. You know that God can do that. But what happened with Jonah should, and you should understand this is how God works in your life. You don't deserve to be corrected. You and I don't, we don't deserve to be. Correction is a privilege. In spite of your rebellion, in spite of your, the hardness of your heart, in spite of the way you try to avoid it in spite of the way you try to ignore it. I mean, some of us have learned the art of ignoring correction. It's like, you know, correction just went by. It came as a storm, but nothing really moved. In spite of all that, God who is rich in mercy still chooses to correct you. Now, if you must be thankful about one thing in your life, it must be about correction. The church must be thankful for the correction of the Holy Spirit. The church must be so thankful. We must be praising God. We must be worshipping God for this one thing, that He corrects us. Because the Bible says the one whom He loves, He corrects, the Bible says. The one whom He... Hallelujah. You don't deserve. You don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. How many of you are thankful for the correction which you never deserved? How many of you are thankful for the correction which you never deserved? You never deserved it. 
you never deserved you could not have earned it god spoke to jonah again a second time just in case he had forgotten the instruction which came to him in the first place because of all the clutter of all the things that took place in between those two instances where god spoke to him god spoke to him again one more time the same thing do we take stock of the second chances that we get do we take stock of the second chances that you get do you how many have you counted how many second chances have you counted do we take stock of the number of second chances we get in our walk with god do we keep count of the number of times god's mercy reminds us of what he had asked us to do in the first place god's mercy is what reminds us it's his mercy that reminds us it, that's right it's his kindness that leads us to repentance no i believe that many in the church you and i we are we are being prophetically warned about some some form of tarshish distractions we are being warned forewarned by the holy spirit about some forms of tarshish distractions that are coming in the way of us responding to a nineveh call now i believe the the holy spirit is is warning us in in all his love in all his love he's correcting us he's trying to get our attention and he's trying to tell us there is a and then we call upon you but you're going to be distracted by a tarshish will you forget what god has spoken when you see some silver lining in the horizon before you emphatically say no i will not think again consider yourself again you see some silver lining in the horizon will you forget are you the kind of person who will quickly forget the things that god has spoken to you god has asked you to do now whether you accept it or not whether you admit it or not the heart condition of man is such that we tend to forget a commitment so quickly one of the the biggest lessons i've learned walking with the lord doing his work doing his ministry the biggest lesson i keep repeating it over and over man is so fickle man is so fickle the thoughts and emotions of man are it can change colors over seconds over seconds we tend to forget where we have come from and who we were now i remember one of the things that when febin's mom was like you know in the those final stages you know we were just having a conversation me and febin and um one of the things that he said i will never forget what my mom told me his mom advice given to him when when she saw that this son of hers has got a gifting has got an ability from god the one thing that she instructed him is never forget where you started now I, i felt so proud about this mother and i know that the, she said it in a way that he will never forget it never forget where you started and how you started where you came from 
the biggest threat to a christian walk is we quickly forget where we started how we started whom who we were and how we used to do because we we we've experienced the goodness of god so much that things have changed so fast so rapidly our conditions have changed so fast our standards have changed so fast that we have forgotten where we started how we started a slight sense of fortune can flip a man's mind i'm talking to some of you here this morning a slight sense of a good fortune coming our way a slight sense of that you you're sensing it in the horizon something is coming in my way that slight sense within you that can flip your mind that can make you somebody else it is good to know when you are about to face a test and this week i was told i was listening to a voice so dear to me and i was told this is a test for you because i was complaining maybe i was so disturbed i was cribbing and crying i was almost in tears considering some of the things that you know that i was seeing or i was sensing but the moment when i i heard that this is a test for me my perspective changed now you 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 and i must know when we are facing a test it is good to know that you are facing a test debbie just got over a a season of exams you can she is all bright and happy today i saw her yesterday she was a different person today she is like it's like a a sunrise or something has happened but you have to go through the test knowing that you're going through a test because only then you will be vigilant and alert to to deal with the test many of times we fail in our test because we don't understand that we are facing a test and we crib and complain we and we are frustrated and we are so desperate we complain to god we complain to everyone around us we are so like you know so frustrated about all that is going because we have not realized that it is a test see listen the test is so that we can understand where we are it's not for god to understand where we are god knows where we are he he gauges our spirit he does not need to put any test for you and i but the test the bible talks about test yourself whether you are in the faith the test is for your sake so that you understand where you are and what's your conviction in life the gen- that's why the genuineness of your faith may be proven a man more precious than gold when the spirit of god is giving us a word prophetically speaking us to us a word it is to prepare us for the test amen you know when when the exam season approaches there is an all a, a new found excitement a new found uh, uh, alertness and drive to study suddenly you you'll discover all the textbooks that were like hidden in the in the room because you have to somehow pass the test and god is giving us forewarning us you are enter into a time a season where you'll be tested and the word which comes to us prophetically you might you might feel like oh that was such a i mean it was so heavy on me the word came to me so it was so hard on me the truth is god was being so tender to you he was being so tender to you for warning you so that you will be ready for the 
test we are, we are about to face so that you will not fail the test but you will hallelujah if god spoke to you there is a tarshish somewhere looming in the horizon which is going to eclipse your nineveh call beware watch out be careful be careful be careful be careful the bible gives us one description of how the enemy functions okay very clear the enemy prowls about like a roaring lion the bible does not say the enemy is a roaring lion but the bible says the enemy prowls about like a so the the picture must be like that when you see a lion okay you are all you're talking about the lion of judah and all good but also think that there is this guy who's trying to act like like he's 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 seemingly walking around he's prowling like a lion seeking someone to devour because christians are not aware of how the devil works sometimes we fail to overcome the the challenges the we fail to extinguish the darts the the fiery darts that come to us god is forewarning you preparing say preparing you the word comes to you to prepare you the prophetic word comes to prepare you ahead of the time so that you will not be found lacking when you pass through a season you now every now and then i get this wake up call oh god has spoken to me this an year back God has shown me this five years back. See, today when we sit together and take stock of some of the things that we face, we realize that God had told us this will happen many years back. That's how the word of God comes to us. See, that is why it is important for us to receive the word with such. You must be so. Every word matters. Because a warning might slip away. a preparation might just miss your attention don't fail in test if you don't depend on the grace of god and if you're not focusing you'll get distracted and disturbed and you can mess up the test that you're going through praise god as much as i would like to continue on with jonah i love jonah how many of you love jonah jonah helped me a lot you know some of you make fun of jonah but I don't know how many of you would dare to call your like name your children or your grandchildren Jonah because Jonah has a, a not so popular reputation but praise God for Jonah when you and I can learn a lot from this Jonah man we can avoid a lot of uh, middle of the sh- middle of the sea storms if we can understand what was happening with this this character praise God today the the, the spirit of God has put in my heart Uh, something else you know, prompting me to go somewhere else today we will surely revisit the meditation of the book of jonah sometime yeah because it is so deep there is so much to look into last week i was just uh, praying and seeking god's guidance regarding the opening that we had on monday we just had an opening on monday worship without walls we went and ministered at a camp a youth camp uh, because of the nature of the opening and the kind of crowd that was expected there you know i was i was trying to know for sure how to go about it and i asked the lord to minister to me and the, the holy spirit led me into a very deep thought i don't know how many of you have experiences like that when the holy spirit will lead you into a very deep thought you get lost track of your surroundings and you go into this deep thought 
so I had such an experience and the, the Lord led me into meditating from Luke chapter 7, verse 36 down. Now, one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him. And he entered the Pharisee's house. Who is he? Say Jesus. And he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a Sinner. Okay, let's stop it there and we'll, we'll continue the reading after we consider this much. So it says that a Pharisee invited Jesus for, said dinner. Uh, we know that the, the name of the Pharisee is Simon because the next verse that where we just stopped, the next verse is verse 40, I think. In the next verse, we read that Jesus called him Simon. So we are talking about Simon the Pharisee, all right? So there are three other similar accounts mentioned in the other Gospels. Um, and if you study, you will realize that this is not the same as the other ones. There is a debate about it, but I believe that it is different. The other one talks about the anointing at Bethany. One happened at the house of Lazarus. The other one happened at the house of a person by the name Simon the leper. And the leper can definitely not be a Pharisee. Okay, so this is Simon the Pharisee. And the conversation is also different. This is a different conversation. Though the act was same, the conversation is different. Okay, so this is Simon the Pharisee and Jesus was invited for dinner. So Simon the Pharisee wanted Jesus to come and dine with him. And that sounds quite odd. Say odd. That is not normal. Pharisees don't normally invite Jesus for anything. What do you think? I don't think that is a common thing. That is not a common practice. Pharisees had nothing in common with Jesus. Jesus had nothing in common with them. But this Pharisee wanted Jesus to come and dine with him. And, uh, you know, Jesus accepted the invitation. And just because Simon is a Pharisee, Jesus did not decline the invitation. Praise God. Yeah. And we read that Jesus entered Simon's house and reclined the table. So that must happen. Jesus was invited by Simon the Pharisee. Jesus entered the house. He reclined at the table. And there were others who were invited um, for the dinner. We can see that later down in the passage because there are others who sat at the table. The Bible talks about it later down in the passage, okay? So if you're wondering where, where do you see that? Later down you'll see that there are others who were sitting at the, at the table. So I believe Simon was hosting um, what you would call today a networking dinner. You know networking dinner, right? You have these corporate meetings and you know, there's a time for networking over food. They call it networking lunch, networking buffet, networking dinner, whatever it is. So this Simon was hosting something like a networking dinner. From what transpired, it is quite clear that Simon was not focused on Jesus. Though he requested Jesus to come and dine with him, what transpired makes it very clear that Simon was not focused on the person of Jesus. 
you can see him question his authenticity. Yeah, a few verses down. Let's not go there now. So maybe, I believe, he was probably trying to connect or make a network of influential people. Simon, he's an influential man. He's got, you know, some people have this, uh, you know, ability to connect people. So Simon was trying that. He was offering Jesus' ministry some extra mileage. I believe. Because they were present. I believe they were present that day in Simon's house. The likes of today's CEOs and ministers, bureaucrats and, and celebrities and influencers and academicians and so on and so forth. I'm just assuming. You know, but I believe that was what it was about. Because Simon was not focused on. Jesus was not the most important person in the house. For sure. If it were so, he would have treated him differently. But there were others at the table. So it was more of a networking dinner where he had invited some celebrities, some known people, some, I mean, some influential people in society together. And it was more like a corporate event than a worship night. Influencers gathered together. So Simon would have thought that Jesus will be truly impressed by this kind gesture. Get some VIPs in town together and let them have dinner with Jesus. Let them have a nice conversation over the food. And if you look at it, today many Christian initiatives are like this. It has reduced to nothing but such a, we call it a bash. That's a social event. Many Christian initiatives have, have been reduced to nothing but such a, a bash. There is so much of our agenda. There is so much of our agenda in these events. And there is very little of God's agenda in these events. The church in the 21st century is driven by events. Say events. We are driven by events. And Jesus gets invited for the event. But he's only one among the many who are invited. One among the many invitees. But he's not the sender. He's not the focal point of the event. He's not the... The, the main attention, the attraction of the event. But it is just an initiative where everyone in the industry, say industry, everyone in the industry can thrive together. Okay, get all these influences together, like brainstorm, share ideas, and then work together, look, at, look for opportunities to work together, seek business opportunities, seek for opportunities to um, enhance money, uh, revenue generation, and this and that, and more footfalls, and this and that. But that's the truth. Whether you, whether you understand it that way or not, that's the truth. The 21st century Christian events have been reduced to what we see in the corporate. It's about networking. It's about, it's about meeting people. It's about hanging out together. It's about helping each other. And, and looking at how we can work together. I have a question for you. When Jesus is not the only agenda in our gatherings, does it disturb you? When Jesus is not the only agenda in our gatherings, does it disturb you? Or do you pass it? When he is not the center of attention, 
do you feel uncomfortable when there are hidden agendas and jesus is used just as a cover up how do you feel i want you to know do not be deceived i'm talking for real many things that are happening in christendom today are just a cover up is just an eye wash it's just an eye wash some of those things are just about money it's just about publicity it's just about making a name for themselves god is in the back seat jesus is just one among the many who are invited he is not the prime focus so jesus sat at the table in simon's house with all these other important people who were invited by him verse 37 and there was a woman in the city who was a sinner and when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the pharisee's house she brought an alabaster vial of perfume so verse 37 tells us that somebody else entered that same house say same house that same house where this bash of an event was happening somebody else entered that same house an unexpected person walked in to the house uninvited it's not a pleasant word uninvited so this woman walked in uninvited see the thing is i've read this passage many times one of my favorite passages in the bible i've read it many times and this woman intrigues me so much i mean she has brought me to tears she has taught me she has showed me how she has helped me overcome my flaws she's she's intrigued me every time i consider this say intruder this woman is an intruder every time i consider this intruder every time i consider this trespasser she was a trespasser an intruder a trespasser a gate crasher thank you so much a gate crasher i mean you can give all those those are the labels which will fit her she's an intruder an intruder a gate crasher uninvited she was trespassing without permission now i cannot even imagine the audacity with which she walked into this pharisee's house and luke is such an he is a he is a gentleman okay the the one who wrote this this uh, gospel luke the physician is a gentleman is a historian is a gentleman he gives so much of respect to this woman he she, he just says a woman in the city who is a sinner you know many of us would have put another word in place of that long phrase i mean there are there are better words to describe that woman for sure he makes it very polished in his choice of words about this woman a woman in the city who was a sinner could have been reduced to a single word such a woman think about it a woman in us in that city who was a sinner think about such a woman such a woman had the audacity to walk into a pharisee's house when he was hosting a corporate dinner for an invited list of who's who in the society the a list in society the who's who of that town they were all there 
including Jesus. She had the audacity to walk in uninvited, intrude into their privacy, trespass into, the, into that circle. Now, how, think about it. How could she walk in just like that? What was she thinking? Now, even if you consider today's times, okay, it's a breach of protocol. Even in today's culture. I believe it was the same those days also. In those days, it was more stricter than how we practice things today. It was a breach of protocol for this woman. You have to look at this, okay? I wanted to imagine with me, imagine the house, imagine the spread on the table, imagine people around, seated around the table, Imagine maybe just Simon at the head of the table. Imagine all the other people seated around the table. And somewhere there, there was Jesus also. And we had all the other celebrities, the film stars, the, the, the social media influencer, the politician, the, the local MLA. The academician, the, the business person, all of them, they were all seated around a table. And this woman, the Bible calls her a, a woman in that city who was a sinner. That was the best label she could be given by the Holy Spirit. She just walked in, breached every protocol. She just walked in. You study her, look at her. You look at her, you will realize that she had no other agenda. She had no other agenda. When she walked in, she came with just one agenda in her mind. She was not there to propose a business plan. Okay, a lot of influencers have come. She was not there to propose, a, I, I would like to start this new business and I heard that all these investors have come together. I would like to propose a business plan. No, she was not for that. She was not there to make new connections. You know, we go to places to make connections. But she was not there to make any connections. She was not there to... Uh, reunite with some of her old acquaintances. No. She was not there to interact with notable names. Now some of us go for events. It's all about the picture perfect moments in the event. Trust me, she was not there to churn out some content for her social media. No. Some selfies with these celebrities. No. She had no such agenda. She was not there for the dinner. She was not looking at the table. She's hungry, I want to eat something. No, she didn't come for any of these things. She just wanted to worship Jesus. Period. Nothing else. Nothing else. The Lord showed me something about this woman. And what she knew about worship. And I want to share that with you. For most of us, worship is about seeking the presence of God. For almost all of us, worship is about desiring the presence of God. But this woman will teach us something else about worship. From the way she walked into an uninvited house of a Pharisee, a place full of important people, I believe, where it was so certain that she'll be despised, ridiculed, and judged. 
we can gather something about what she understood about worship. Now, what was her drive when she walked in? You all come to the presence of God because you want to experience the, the presence of God. You desire us of the presence of God. You're desiring to be in his presence. But this woman drew near knowing that the one who is there desires her company. She was, she knew that Jesus was desiring her presence as much as she desired to be in his presence. So her worship was not about satisfying her need to be in the presence of God. Her worship was not about her desire to be with him. Her worship was about knowing that the one whom she came to worship loves her worship. Her worship was about giving him what he deserves and pouring out what he desires. When you come for worship, why do you come? When you go out of worship, what do you claim? You claim, I, I came and I sought the presence of God. I spent time in the presence of God. Can you put your hand on your heart and say that you gave what he wanted from you? Is your worship about what he desires? Do you have the conviction that he desires to be in your presence? Jesus to, desires to be in your presence as much as or even more than you desire to be in his presence. The God you and I serve, he desires your company, your presence. So that is why, you know, one fine day you come and say, Lord, I, I, I want to be in your presence. And then you walk away and then you don't show for a, for a few months. There is something wrong. You are not worshipping. You are just marking your attendance. Because worship is not about saying hi to God. Worship is not about saying hi to God. It's about knowing that he wants something that you have and giving it to him. That he's desirous of what you carry and what you pour out to him. It, 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 this must change the way we worship. This must change the way we worship. You can take no credit for being in the presence of God. You cannot take any credit for saying things like, I sought his presence. God is seeking your presence. God is seeking your presence. And when Jesus spoke to the woman at, at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well, Jesus gave her an insight. The father seeks. What does the father seek? True worshippers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. So that means the father lost something and he's seeking for that. The church is God's expectation of finding what he lost when man sinned. God is expecting to find what he lost when you and I meet together. When you and I live our lives before him. Can you stand in the presence of God with the, sh the full conviction that he is, he is just desiring to see you worship, to give you his worship. He is desiring for what you have. He is desiring your lifted hands. He is desiring the tears that roll down your cheeks. 
He is desiring it. He is desiring your expressions. Now we've made the mistake of reducing worship into what we like and what we desire. It's about our set of favorite songs. It's about how we have arranged those songs. It's about having the instruments that we like to play. It's about having the ambience that we like to have. But that is not worship. When this woman walked in to this house, there was no musician in, in the house. There was no band playing. There's nobody to play chords like how Paul would play chords. There's nobody to play lead like how Febin would play the lead. There's nobody to sing like how Sharon would sing. There is not a single note of music in that house. All that was there was her heart which she wanted to pour out. She knew that what she had, this Jesus would love. He would love it. He's desiring for it. Change the way you think, the way you look at yourself. Change the way you worship. It is you that he desires. Not your talents, not your abilities. It's you that he desires. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. He's looking for all of you. All. All. And how dare we stand before him and give him tidbits. A little bit here, a little bit there. Throw a little bit of us. Throw a little bit of us here. And then we think we have worshipped him. No, we have not worshipped him. We have not worshipped him. We move to the tunes. We dance to the music. We clapped a few times. That's it. But you have not worshipped him. And the focus is all about playing the right notes and, and hitting. See, this is good. It's important because we are offering unto God. But when we are all consumed about those things and there is no focus of God. I was talking to somebody the other day and I told him, when the heart is right, your music will be right. When your heart is, is right before God, your music will be right before God. You try to make your music right, your music might sound right, but your heart will never be right. Don't reduce worship into what we like. Worship is about knowing what Jesus likes. Knowing what he desires. And giving what he likes. And giving what he desires. Worship is not about giving what is convenient for us to give. Worship is about giving what Jesus is deserving of. Have you given him what he deserves? Today in, in your time of worship, did you give him what he deserves? Or have you drawn a limit to your worship? I'm telling you, that's how we worship. And we think we are worshipped. Worship is not about giving what is convenient. It's about giving what he is desiring and deserving. Worship is not about having a good time. Worship is not about having a good experience. And I want to, I want to tell you this. 
don't get me wrong but try to understand what i am trying to tell you here you know this this phrase worship experience which is so commonly used in modern day christianity is so misleading churches have used it with all good intentions but at the center of that is what we get to experience it's about what we experience worship is not about what we experience this will change the way you live this will change your walk with jesus it will change the way you worship this will change the way you worship it'll bring out what is within you which he desires you're trying to enhance the experience we are trying to at the at the compromise of no focus you compromise on that there's no focus on jesus the focus is on the experience the ambience what is worship isn't worship about what jesus gets to experience from us if you if you study this passage this act of worship is all about what he experienced what he experienced what he received it is about what he experienced that day from her listen we are not consumers in worship we are not consumers in worship we have to get consumed we have to spend ourselves stretch your limits pour out empty yourself in worship because if you look at this woman she had no experience at all i mean if you if you're looking at if you're talking about experience in worship what kind of experience she got that night what was the worship experience that you and i are talking about did she get any any sort of experience was anything about her that night Now to to begin with she came uninvited into a house full of people who recognized her for who she is she couldn't disguise she couldn't hide her true identity everybody at the moment she stepped in they all like this is that woman the sinner in town the one that lives lives down the street her reputation was so terrible she could not hide her infamous sinner label from the people that who were gathered there she had no reason to feel good when she went for worship when she stepped into the sanctuary where jesus was she had no reason to feel good she came and and stood behind jesus i believe she was shaking with shame and fear she knelt down hoping nobody will drag her out of the house then she washed the feet of jesus with her own tears tears flowing out of a genuine brokenness and guilt don't think that she cried because of glycerin no it was a genuine brokenness a place of feeling so guilty and ashamed she wiped his feet with her hair and kissed those feet unceasingly the bible says i i believe she was still shaking with inexpressible shame she was well aware that she was a misfit in that house she was aware that she had broken the protocol 
she was aware of the hushed whispers of disbelief and aghast she was well aware of the judgmental eyes that pierced through her she purposely broke open the alabaster flask of fragrant oil and anointed his feet you know what the lord told me she took the risk of true worship true worship will risk your image true worship will risk your reputation she gave herself up in abandon she disowned her self consciousness and the one thing that made her do all this is the conviction deep within her that this jesus desires what she has to offer him she knew that everyone else in the room will be uncomfortable do you know that she she was not dumb she knew that everyone in that house in that room will, will be so uncomfortable she knew that everyone else will find her presence appalling and disgusting but she knew that jesus came into that house in her neighborhood just to receive her true worship i want you to know that that night he came into that house not because simon invited him he came in because he knew that this woman is going to come with her alabaster vial of perfume and that she is going to pour out her worship in the presence of all the people all the celebrities gathered there and he desired to see that he loved to see that he wanted to see that he gave room for the for the woman to come he made space he made sure that nobody moved one thing you can be sure about when you are in true worship nobody can stop you because the spirit will not allow anybody to stop you there is freedom that's what the bible talks about there is liberty in the presence of god where the spirit of god is there is there is freedom you can worship the way you want to worship him you can worship the way you know that god desires from you nobody is going to stop you nobody is going to prevent you today we need the lights to go off to raise our hands we need a dark ambience to shed some tears because we we are still guarding our image we are still guarding our reputation in society we are still guarding what people think about us we are so mindful of it i remember when we were meeting in the earlier hall one man used to come and fellowship with us on and off and one day he came to me and said pastor i want to worship but you have bright lights in this place i looked at him and he's he's not stopping he said haven't you seen that in all those churches like you know in in those mega churches the the light is very dim so people get privacy to worship hello worship is not about it's not a private matter you think you're going to go in heaven and you're going to get a small pod getting you're going to get a small pod a small cabin nobody's going to watch you and you're going to worship all you want no in heaven you will be in the presence of 
myriads of angels, thousands and thousands and thousands of blood-washed saints, redeemed of the Lord. That's right. And you will be standing in the presence of the one who shines unapproachable light. Everybody can see everything about you. Hallelujah. I don't know from where we got the idea of letting the lights. It's from the world. It's from the world. Now, the more we focus on the ambience, the more we focus on the experience, the more we focus on the externals, we miss out on connecting with God. We miss out on connecting with God. Now, I tell all these young people, I keep repeating it to them, to the Michaels and the Dammies and all the young people who are, now that they all want to play music in church and they want to, you know, they want to worship God, be in the band and all. I tell them, if you're not able to worship when you go up there, you're not going to be playing in this church. We want the kids to grow. They must, they must be up there. It's good. It's good. We all, we all came like that. But if we can't teach them to worship, I was talking to a youth pastor. I told him, all you have to do is focus on teaching your young people to worship. It's an investment to your church. It's an investment to your church. Teach your people to worship. Make them uncomfortable. Now, in this church, I will make you uncomfortable. I will keep working on this. I will keep working on this. Because it's not about what I want to see. It's about what he wants to see. Amen. Amen. I know that we all going to get it. Amen. We are not going to benchmark worship against what we see in some other place. We're going to benchmark worship against what his heart is about, desiring from us. The sinner woman set a standard. She set a standard. You must be able to set a standard in worship. When I come out of a worship evening or a worship time, a worship concert, so to call it, I, I don't, what I, I desire to hear, what I crave to hear is when people say, you've set a standard to worship God. You must be able to set a standard. That's what the woman did. She set a standard to worship Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. I mean, she overthrew all the modern-day worship uh, practices. She just silenced. She literally did this. To everything that the modern Christianity brags about. And she said, whatever you do, my Lord loves this more than anything that you have to offer. It's about the heart. It's about the heart. It's about the heart. I believe she's been waiting for a while with that alabaster box. She was desperate. I want to break open this, this vial of perfume, this oil. I want to pour it on the feet of Jesus. She was just waiting. And when the opportunity came, she didn't wait for anybody's approval. She didn't wait for any invitation. See, the only invitation you need for worship is the presence of Jesus. The only invitation... You need for worship is the presence of Jesus. You can worship Jesus even if people have not invited you. Simon has not invited this woman. But she holds a card in her hand. True worshiper of Jesus. She can go anytime she wants. Whenever she wants. Wherever she wants. 
if Jesus is there. That's the access that you and I have in worship. That's the access that you and I have in worship. Don't sit like paupers. I wish we had a more, like, you know, more better ambience. I wish we had a, a larger space. I wish we had a better band. I wish we had a more expressive worshiper, worship leader. I wish we had a be- better worship leader. Yes, I'll come back to myself. It's not about the worship leader. It's not about the sound engineer. It's not about the light engineer. It's not about the drummer. It's not about the keyboard player. It's not about the singer. It's not about any of those people. It's not about the dancers. It's not about any of those people. It's about, it's about, it's about, it's not about Simon. It's not about the celebrities. It's not about any of those people who gathered there. It's about She just wanted to anoint the feet with that perfume. Now even, look at this, even Simon could not take her worship. Even Simon could not fathom her worship. He was so disturbed. To the extent that he questioned the authenticity of the one who requested to come and dine in his house. He thought in his head, but Jesus replied to him with words. You didn't give no water to my feet. You didn't wipe my feet. You didn't kiss me. I came. You just said, okay, come and sit. That's all you did. But this woman, she came. She cried. She washed my feet with her tears. She wiped my feet with her hair. She kissed my feet unceasingly. She has not stopped kissing my feet. And she broke that perfume and poured it on my feet. Anointed my feet. What did you do? Don't think that Jesus will not ask questions like this. Hello? Some of you have a picture of Jesus. Whatever you have to give, he'll be okay with that. No. I'm telling you, he, he's, a, he's a jealous God. He's a consuming fire. When he says he wants all of you, he wants all of you. I have this against you. Who are we talking about? We're talking about Jesus, this same Jesus. He is the one who said to the church of Ephesus, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Where is your worship? I don't see it anymore. If you are a Christian, when you got saved, your worship was, you were on the floor, you were were crying, you didn't care who looked at you, you were in tears, you, you were lost in worship. And five years down the line, you have become so stiff, You can't remember the last time you lifted your right hand in worship. You can't remember the last time you sung one line full in worship. If you're such a person, change. This word is for you. If if you've gotten so stuck with all the technicalities and all the, the, the responsibilities that you have to do in church, change. Change. Learn to worship with all the responsibilities. You heard that? Learn to... Learn to worship Jesus with all the responsibilities. Keep the time, but still worship Jesus. Play the role, but still he questioned Jesus. If this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of a person this woman is who is touching him. That she is a sinner. Now you must worship the extent that people around you will lose their bearings looking at the way you worship. They'll be so uncomfortable because you're worshiping Jesus. Michal had a problem with David because he worshipped 
his god undignified to the point that he didn't even realize that his garments fell off he was lost in dance fellow dancers you must dance you must dance we all can dance express in worship express in worship release that worship in this house wherever you are release that worship don't hold it back now one thing about that flask of perfume is you break open a flask of fragrant oil the whole house will smell with that fragrant oil she didn't care are your food in red again you nalla manok vandu kanya she didn't think about that it's about what jesus wants jesus is not there for the there for the food jesus was not there for the food how many of you know that some of you think that jesus went there for the food no he didn't go for the food he went there for the worship that she had to offer she broke open that perfume this alabaster jar of fragrant oil she broke it open and poured it on the feet of jesus everyone in that place they all got disturbed they all got disturbed your worship is to please jesus and make him happy let it make other people uncomfortable this shed your sophistication this shed your sophistication your drop your dignity drop your dignity let your dignity fall off you must not even realize that your dignity has fallen off you must worship in that level because that is what he deserves that's what he deserves not the little no that is not what he deserves he deserves full full worship you know when we we went to uh, we went to mercy vineyard church in bangalore the pastor decided he's going to remove all the chairs i was like okay two hours of worship and they going to all stand for two hours he said yeah we're going to keep all the chairs away and if somebody wants to sit they can always pull a chair and sit that a good idea maybe i should do this in church <laughs> but i'm telling you for two hours we had people lost in worship not bothering to sit down they were all either hands up just lost in worship or prostrate in worship nobody wanted to move you know we went to the other place we went to you know trishu same thing you know the chairs were there but nobody wanted to sit nobody sat down nobody for 2 2 hours 15 minutes we led worship in that place nobody sat down because you kind of lose sense of your your physical being you worship to such an extent that you can't feel the pain in your knee anymore you can't feel that pinch in your back anymore you're worshiping jesus you're consumed by his presence you're all about giving him something yeah huh? the spirit is in action the spirit is connected the flesh is dead yo in your worship your flesh must be dead kill your flesh every time you stand before him in worship kill your crucify your flesh crucify your flesh people should people should become so uncomfortable that their true colors will come out the demons will manifest at one place this last week we were we were at worship at this youth camp and that again again almost 2 hour plus towards the end we had a we had a kid who manifested and nobody laid hands we didn't even see we were all lost in worship we were singing yeshua and we just keep going and 
like over and over, just singing the name of Jesus, lifting up the name of Jesus. And I was told after worship that somebody just manifested. Didn't even know. Your worship for Jesus will make people uncomfortable, will make demonic influences break loose. So the question that true callers will come out. Who is this man? If this man were truly a prophet, then he would have known that this woman is a sinner. See, he, his heart was not right. His heart was not about worship. His heart was not about Jesus. It is all full of himself. He had planned something else. And this woman just came in and just, just destroyed his agenda. Corporate event became silts. Become an utter flop. Your worship should make man's plan flop big time. Your worship should make every human plan flop big time. You must be such a worshiper. What man has planned and schemed and plotted and thought about and considered should all go for a six. Because you are there worshiping Jesus. Amen. I want you to know that if Jesus ever shows up in a place, it is to receive worship from at least one person. So if you are in a place and there is worship happening, even if nobody else is worshiping, you can be sure that he is there because you are there to offer him worship. Do not feel bad. When people drag you down and call you names behind your back because you're a worship, because of your devotion to Christ. Now, I mean, I, I can tell you this, okay? This is for sure. If you worship Jesus the way she worshiped Jesus, you can be guaranteed of this. You will be spoken about. You will be talked about. If you're not being talked about, you're not worshiping enough. If you're not being talked about, you're not worshiping enough. They'll call you names behind your back. This woman is a sinner. Didn't you know that? She's a sinner. I'm the worshiper and for God to do something big in your life, it is important that you be brought low by others. You want to experience the mighty hand of God, move on your behalf, then get ready to be brought low by people around you. If God wants to show up in your life, then you have to come to a level where you know, his, his work cannot be ignored by anybody else. You can be brought to the lowest of lows. But if you're a worshiper, one word will silence all your enemies. Your sins are forgiven. Nobody had anything to say. The sinner, till the previous, the previous hour, she was a sinner in the city. But now, for the rest of eternity, for the rest of history, she is a worshiper of Jesus. Because her sins were forgiven by the one whom she came to worship. You can be called names, you can be dragged down, you can be spoken about, you can be um, back, backstabbed and this and that. But if you're a worshiper, if there is worship in you, be certain about this. Jesus will speak on your behalf. He will speak on your behalf. Whatever problems people have with you, let them talk about it. Let them think loud about it. Let them discuss about it. But just know one thing. God is about to do something in your life which no man can have a claim. He can, I'm telling you, nobody can make a claim about what he is going to do in your life. 
nobody in that circle there were influencers there were politicians bureaucrats academicians historians i don't know who all were there nobody could make a claim nobody could make a claim that it is because of me that she was set free from her sins only jesus could have done that there are things in your life only jesus can do nobody can make a claim that he has, they have done something for you and god will bring you to a place like that if you are ready to abandon yourself in worship god will bring you to such a place where you are lost you are lost in in worship you are lost you are not worried about what they say you are not worried about what they think you are not worried about what they call you you are not worried about anything all that matters is you want to give something that he likes and he will do a work in your life which no man can take claim of you choose to give what god deserves you choose to give what jesus desires he will do for you what he desires for you jesus will do for you what he desires for you you choose to give him what he desires he will do for you what he desires for you you give him what he likes he will establish in you what he likes for you the only thing that mattered to jesus was i want to make her a, a worship i want to i want to change her label from this day on she is not going to be known as a sinner but she is going to be known as a worshipper and he changed her label once and for all all of now even today 2000 plus years down the line we are talking about this woman with such reverence she changed the way people worship jesus in your circle you must change the way people worship jesus in your church you must change the way people worship jesus i like what the bible says the bible says praise is becoming to the upright it is becoming it is something that people will look and go wow it is becoming it's pleasant it is pleasant to the upright for the wicked it is uncomfortable but for the for the upright in heart for the righteous ones your praise is becoming it's pleasant it is contagious it is worthy of emulation hallelujah thank you jesus thank you jesus we worship you and jesus answered him simon verse 40 simon i have something to say to you so this is in response to the question that simon asked in his mind He, the bible says he thought to himself he said to himself if this man were a prophet then he would have known that this woman is a sinner in response jesus answered him simon i have something to say to you and he replied say teacher a money lender had two debtors one owed 500 denarii and the other 50 when they were unable to repay he graciously forgave them both so which of them will love him more simon answered and said i suppose the one whom he forgave more and he said to him you have judged correctly turning toward the woman he said to simon do you see this woman now she has become an example for simon jesus is setting her as an example in the place that she was ridiculed jesus is using the one who was invited to that house he is using the sinner of that city as an example for simon 
to follow. Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. In other words, you're no longer a... Those who are reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Your faith has... Hallelujah. Where do you stand when it comes to worship? Do you put yourself at the risk when you worship Jesus? Do you throw yourself at his feet selflessly? Hello, this is Nishad Dilipkoshi. I'm sure this podcast has blessed you. Do subscribe to our channel for more messages and follow us on social media to stay connected. May God bless you.